You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We believe God is going to meet you right where you are today as you listen and dig into His Word. What an incredible time of worship today. What an incredible time of celebrating last week the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he is alive, that he is in fact the one who has conquered sin and death and hell and the grave. That's what we, we had an incredible time of celebrating that, that he no longer, the enemy no longer has a hold on our lives, but because of what Jesus done, there is a post-resurrection reality to our lives if we accept Jesus as Savior and Lord. But there is a Probably a little more truth to this than I would care to admit. Oftentimes, we as humans don't live in reality, right? Even though this is a post-resurrection reality that, that Jesus is alive and he has conquered sin and hell and death and the grave, oftentimes we don't live in reality. And, and in this case, let's talk about this. Jesus' death and resurrection brought about a new reality for all of humanity, but there has to be an acceptance of who he is and what he's done for it to actually take place in our lives. So let me ask you, in light of last week's celebration all throughout the world of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, where do we find ourselves today in a post-resurrection reality? Where do you find yourself today as people of the cross? Yes, but people of the resurrection. And I want to read this morning where the disciples of Jesus found themselves post-resurrection. And I hope that it will encourage you today because I do, as I just pray, believe God wants to do something supernatural through his spirit, through the teaching of his word in our lives as it relates to fear. Because granted, it was early on, Hours after the resurrection, if you will. But if anybody should have known what was about to happen, it was the disciples. It was the people that had been following Jesus. It was the people that that walked with him, saw him perform miracles, heard his teaching, actually heard Jesus tell them what was going to happen to himself. If there was anybody that should have been okay, or at least walking in a little bit of faith of what was about to happen, it was these disciples So I want you to turn with me to the book of John, John chapter 20, next next to the last book in the book of John chapter that is, and we're going to read a little bit this morning about this post-resurrection reality and what was going on with the disciples. Let's see what they were doing post-resurrection. Verse 19, on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked. For fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 23, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Lord, I pray today that you would 
take your word, your living word, and by your spirit, you would illuminate it in our hearts and our minds, and that you would change us, transform us, heal us, deliver us, do all that you do, God, through your power and the power of your word in our lives, in Jesus' name. Now let's unpack this a little bit this morning because I want you to see something that is pretty much normative and indicative of disciples today. Verse 19, on the evening of that first day of the week, that would be this day, if you will, the first day of the week when the disciples were together, so far so good, here we are, the disciples, on the first day of the week, and we've gathered together, and this is what happens. Here's where they are. With the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Let's stop right there. Where were they? Hiding behind locked doors. You know who hides behind locked doors? People that are scared. That's who hides behind locked doors. I mean, any movie that you've ever been to where there's somebody chasing somebody or somebody's scared of somebody, somebody goes typically and locks themselves behind a door. You know, the door usually doesn't do any good. They usually break through or somehow get around it. But the reality is scared people hide behind locked doors. Like I mentioned last week, these disciples, like everybody else, from Palm Sunday to the crucifixion, had gone from being disappointed to disillusioned to despairing and now deserting Jesus. Why? Because they're scared. Like there's more wood to be fashioned into crosses, and they're next. That's all that's going on in their minds. Look, if this happened to Jesus, we're his followers, we're next on the crucifixion list, and they're afraid, as I would be. Fear locks the doors. And this is where they are. And get this, they were believers just like you and I. We're not talking about unbelievers here. We're talking about those who walked with Jesus, listened to him, heard him, saw his miracles, heard what he said was about happening or was happening, and they're still scared for their lives. And let's be honest, let's be honest, as the people of God today, as the church today, and admit that as believers, we're not immune to fear. No matter how many stickers you put on your car, we're not immune to fear. As a matter of fact, I think this would be a better saying. It's not faith over fear. It's faith in spite of fear. Because fear is coming. As if it wasn't, if it was not a normative reality of humans and what we go through in this life, then there wouldn't be so many times in the scriptures that God and angels and Jesus would show up and say, don't be afraid. Guess who you don't say don't be afraid to? People that aren't fearful. Don't be afraid. So in the disciples' case, they're afraid. Of what? Of whom? They're afraid of the very people that Jesus told them not to be afraid of. They're afraid of the very people that Jesus said, don't be afraid of. And it's just like you with your kids, if you're a parent or somebody that you're a friend with, you say, listen, you don't have to be afraid of this. Like maybe it's the first time you're doing something, the first time you're going fishing, the first time you're going on a roller coaster. Listen, da-da-da-da-da, but you don't have to be afraid of this. And this is what Jesus has already done. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, here's what Jesus said. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus is telling them, 
This was a while ago, as I said, that real persecution is coming to those who follow me. Real persecution is coming. And here's what I want you to know. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of losing your earthly life for the sake of the gospel because they cannot steal you away from my hand. They cannot take you away from my love. They cannot steal you away from an eternity with me. And yet, here they are behind locked doors, scared for their lives. Scared of the very people that Jesus said, don't be afraid of. But this is what fear does, my friends. Fear causes us to do things that are irrational. Fear causes us to do things, in many cases, that aren't, it lies to us and tells us to do things that aren't really helpful. Fear imprisons us. Fear isolates us. Fear removes us from the places that would actually be the most beneficial to us, like gathering together on the first day of the week. It renders us ineffective. So let's think about, just before we move on in this passage of Scripture, let's think about today some actual fears that lock us up and keep us from living as people of the resurrection. As disciples of Jesus today, what are the fears that keep you behind locked doors, afraid of the very things that Jesus told you not to be afraid of? What are they? What about the fear of failure? Man, if I do this, and, and what, if the, what if this doesn't work out, and what if this doesn't work out the way I expected, or what if this doesn't happen the way that I had hoped, or the way that I feel like God's saying, it's the idea of failing that will cripple us so many times, and so we don't even try. The fear of failure. What about the fear of your past? Man, if anybody found out about what I used to do. Man, if anybody knew what my life was like. So we have this fear of, of something being unearthed or uncovered, or maybe that it's going to catch up with us somehow and we're going to repeat it again. It's the fear of our past. What about the fear of the future, the fear of the unknown? Man, I, I don't know about you, but that's the one that gets me the most time. It's like, you know, you get a little bit of cold or you get a little bit sick, and then all of a sudden there's this fear of what's going to happen. The worst case scenario starts to move into your ears and your mind. The fear of the unknown, the fear of the future. What about fear of death? What's going to happen when I die? What about the fear of living? There are plenty of people that live this life with a fear of being alive. That's why the suicide rates are so high. It's like, I, I, I'm just afraid to live. Fear of continuing to live. Or the fear of people. Man, if we don't have that fear, we're not being honest with us. So what are they going to think? What are they going to, if I do this, how about what's that going to make them feel like? We have this fear of other people and what they're going to think. So much so that we won't take a stand for what we know and believe to be true according to God's word. Because we're fear of losing a relationship or what somebody might think about us. What about the fear of authorities? And that's exactly what these disciples were going through. The fear of others, like the government killing them. It was a real fear. Listen, countless believers today live under this type of fear every single day. Can I just say to you, even though we may not experience that much, that this type of fear of authorities imprisoning you and taking your life is a normative fear for the believer that follows Jesus? It's normative. All over the world, from the very beginning, right here, right now, in this situation, to today. And here's the thing about fear. It doesn't have to physically do anything to us to be effective. 
Listen, that's why every sort of, of dictatorial or ungodly regime throughout all of history, whether it's something like the Holocaust or slavery or whatever, used fear on other people to imprison others. They would do to one, make everybody watch what they would do to one so that you would be so afraid they didn't have to do it to you, but fear imprisoned you and rendered you ineffective. What I mean is fear of imprisonment will cause you to lock the door of your life and imprison yourself even though you may not be behind physical bars. Fear immobilizes the church to a place of irrelevance, and that's what's taking place in the life of these disciples. Fear forces us to a place of neutrality, and if there's one thing the kingdom of God isn't, it isn't neutral. God is not neutral. So for the disciples, the consequences of their fear was this. About 18 hours after the resurrection had taken place, they were still living as if Jesus was dead. And it's the same thing for the church today. However many thousands of years post-resurrection, what fear does is it causes us to live as if Jesus isn't alive. But mercifully, Jesus. I just say that. Mercifully, Jesus. Check this out. The rest of verse 19 says, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Aren't you glad there's not a locked door that Jesus cannot get through? Aren't you glad that there's not a fear-filled, locked room that Jesus cannot get into? There's nothing that will keep him outside or powerless in his ability to intervene into your life. There's no door that the one who himself calls himself the door or the gateway cannot get through to those who belong to him. I am so grateful that Jesus invades the places of fear in my life and offers the gift that only only the Prince of Peace can offer. Peace be with you. It just shows up. Some of you, or maybe all of us, let me put it this way. Maybe all of us today need Jesus to show up in the middle of our fears and give us peace. Can I just be honest with you real quick so I could set you free? That I go through fear like this. I could be woo and mm, like in 15 seconds, and I'm having to remind myself of what we just sang a lot of, to write it on the tablet of my heart that God is trustworthy, that he's going to do it again, that he has never failed, that he is more than able, all of those things, and that's what we're doing here today, worshiping God so that Jesus will show up in the middle of our stuff and say, Shalom. Which is really what this is. And that's a normal Jewish greeting, but this was far more than just Jesus coming in and saying, hey, peace. That's not what's going on here. It's, it's intimate. It's personal. And it's needed. Coming off his lips, there's so much love. and Because it, 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 he showed up right in the middle of a fear-filled room. I want you to notice something with me, unsaid but obvious. What was this room filled with? Faith, disciples who were afraid. The room wasn't a faith-filled room. 
which is what we oftentimes think. Well, we got to get a little more faith if Jesus is going to show up. Apparently, so I could free you up a little bit this morning, Jesus' presence and offer of peace is not dependent upon your great faith. It's just who he is. And whenever he shows up, he brings who he is with him. He is the prince of peace. Jesus shows up and he's our peace, not in the absence of trouble, not in the absence of fear, but right in the middle of them. That's why when he showed up on the boat and he said, peace, be still, it wasn't in the absence of a storm. It was right in the middle of the storm. And again, he brings his peace how? By simply being there. Oh, I love that. Just by simply showing up in the middle of it. That's it. He's just there. That's how he brings peace. When he's present, he reminds us to trust him. When he's present, he reminds us of who he is, what he's done, and what he's going to do. We don't have to be afraid because he's told us we don't have to, that he is with us, that he will never leave us, that he'll never forsake us, that he's with us to the end of the age. He is here. That's why it's so important, in my opinion, to come and gather on the first day of the week. That's still what the disciples do. We gather and we, yes, we bring our anxieties and we bring our fears and we bring all of that and yet we still cry out and worship Jesus and what does he do? He shows up in the middle of the two or three that are gathered here today and he shows up and he brings his peace into peaceless situations. So we worship him for it. I mean, this is what I do. I mean, I'm like, Jesus, I'm down there singing, I'm worshiping. Jesus, I'm weak, but you're strong. Jesus, I'm afraid, but but you are my secure foundation. Jesus, I'm tired, but you are my rest. Jesus, I don't know how this is going to turn out or if I'm going to be able to come through this, but you are my provision. Jesus, you've done it before. You're going to do it again. Jesus, you're more than able to do exceedingly abundantly, more than I can even ask or think. This is what's going on again and again. say, well, how many times do you have to do that with yourself? About every minute for the rest of my life. Notice verse 20. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. I want you to notice something because we get the impression that Jesus just showing up and everything was cool. I'm saying that when Jesus showed up, they were even more scared. What? Who is this? Like, this guy is supposed to be dead. The doors were locked. Peter, didn't you lock that door? I locked the door. And all of a sudden, there's Jesus right in the middle of them. And it's not until after he shows them his hands and his side. Look, hey guys, it's me. Then they were overjoyed. And I think this is more Jesus showing them his hands and Jesus showing him his side, showing him, showing them what had happened to him, that he had those physical scars was more than just proving the veracity of his presence. It's more than him just saying, I'm here. I think he was trying to show the disciples in this moment what Paul would say later in Philippians, that his scars were a call to know Jesus and the fellowship of his suffering. It's not just Jesus showing up as if nothing ever happened. It's Jesus with the scars showing up. Showing how the post-resurrection people, the disciples, the church, you and I should live today. Here's what Paul said. I want to know God, yes, to know the power of his resurrection. Woo, Easter Sunday, yes. 
and participation in his sufferings. Oh, no, 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 no. I'll be back next Easter. Becoming like him in his death. And so, somehow, I don't know how, how exactly Paul meant to say this, but this is how, somehow, for me, Brent Gerard, somehow I'm going to attain to the resurrection from the dead. The verse says they saw Jesus' scars and they recognized it was Jesus. Then they were overjoyed. Not till they saw his scars do they recognize who it really was, believe who it really was. Then they were overjoyed. The joy of recognizing Jesus is connected to the visible reminder of his suffering. The gift of peace is offered by wounded, nail-scarred hands. What we see is joy and peace do not come alone. Somehow joy and peace and pain mysteriously are connected together. But it's true that a peace that surpasses understanding must come in the most conflicting, confusing, and painful times. I mean, I actually understand peace with no chaos. <laughs> I get that, right? Hey, that's hard to understand. No, it's not. There's nothing going on. It's pretty peaceful around here. But peace that surpasses understanding, that comes in the most painful times of my life. And I'm here to tell you, church, that the most and greatest recognition of peace in my life has actually been during the most painful times of my life. Here's how I would say it. Peace comes with scars. Peace comes with scars. And we know this to be true even from a natural standpoint when there are people that walk with you through the most difficult things in life and they've been through similar things. It's those people that somehow give you a little bit of peace that I've been through it, you're going to be able to make it through as well. I've walked through this, you're going to be able to walk through this as well. And here's what Jesus is doing. He's walking in the room. He said, yes, you're going to walk with me in the power of the resurrection, but you're also going to share in my sufferings. But I made it through. I conquered death. Here's the scars to prove it. And you can do it too. But it doesn't stop there for the disciples, and neither does it stop there for us. We're not just to have fear replaced with peace and then just hang out in peace-filled rooms together. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? We'll just keep on singing and praising and praising. Oh, this is fun. Verse 21, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Yeah, they're, they're probably looking for you guys. Some of you are next, but you got to go. Jesus calmed them, then he commissioned them. He didn't commission them first, he calmed them. Twice he said, peace be with you. And the second time he said, peace be with you. Now I'm sending you as the Father has sent me. He calmed them, then he commissioned them. He's not given us peace just to be at peace. He says, as the Father sent me, now I'm gonna send you. How is Jesus sent? Lowly, humble, as a servant, controversial, confrontational, and at the same time, kind, merciful, and full of peace. And that's how we're to go. We do as he did. We go as he goes. Then Jesus gives us his peace as we gauge the world. Here's, here, watch this. We do as he did. We go as he goes. And then Jesus gives us his peace 
as we do what? As we hang in a peace-filled room? No, as we engage in a dark, chaotic world. That's where the peace comes from. I would venture to say we don't retreat from peace, for peace. We move the mission forward into difficult, chaotic, destructive places and receive peace. Some of us have very little peace in our lives because there's very little going for the kingdom of God in our lives. We're not going. We're hanging back in the peace-filled room. Peace I give you. So fear will lose its grip on you, but it's only going to be with you as you fulfill the call to be peacemakers in a chaotic and dark world. Jesus gives us peace and tells us to go make peace as peacemakers. Jesus had already taught this in the Sermon on the Mount. I believe the more peace we make, the more peace we have. Pretty revolutionary, isn't it? The more you make of something, the more you have of something. The more you make peace, the more you go as peacemakers, the more peace you have. Then what? Well, maybe you've heard it before, but I'll say it again, that Jesus doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. Verse 22, and with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. With an echo from Genesis 2-7, where God breathed into the nostrils of Adam and gave him life, with a foreshadowing of what would happen 50 days later when Pentecost would take place and the church of Christ would be born, Jesus anointed the disciples that were present with him in this moment with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because without the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we will remain locked in fear-filled rooms of our own making. There are a few different theological thoughts as to what's going on here, and I read a lot of them this week. But here's what I want us to see. I believe the disciples who were there at this moment received the anointing and the gift of the Holy Spirit to go preach repentance and forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. This is why in Acts 2, Peter actually did just that. Acts 2.38, Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and, what does he say, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Again, there are quite a few theological issues people take with the Holy Spirit. But I want to let you know this. The Holy Spirit is at work today in and through the people of God called the church. The Holy Spirit is at work today doing all that the Father and the Son have made possible through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, all that he has made possible through the breathing of the Holy Spirit into the church because without him in our lives, without him in the church, there is no power for mission and there is no power for righteous living. It's not possible. We cannot do it without receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. Scripture tells us here and in Acts, the church, the people of God, have received power through the giving of the Holy Spirit. So I think the issue is less about whether we have the Holy Spirit or how we got the Holy Spirit and more about whether we use the power of the Holy Spirit in our daily lives as people who have had the Holy Spirit breathed into us and forgiven us of our sins. So how do we go in the power of the Holy Spirit? as those full of peace into a dark world making peace. Here's verse 23. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. Pretty strange verse, like, whoa, wait a pre-Reformation moment here. Are we selling indulgences again? Is that what's going on? All right, sorry, church history, whatever. We're forgiving sins now? 
What is Jesus saying? What is being said here is that if we're going to be at peace and we're going to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit as peacemakers, if we're going to leave fear-filled, door-locked rooms, then we're going to have to declare God's great act of forgiveness and reconciliation to the world around us. Whereby Jesus intervened on all of our behalfs and destroyed the power of sin and death over our lives. It's basically being those who are willing to go with the gospel of peace. The scriptures are reminding us that we today, the church, as the body of Christ, we have received forgiveness, we've received the Holy Spirit because Jesus intervened on our behalf and now we're called to intervene as God did in Christ with the powerful words of forgiveness through the gospel. We're to go. It's what we've been talking about for the last seven weeks. How do we do this? We share the love of Christ. This is how we do this. This is how peace is infiltrating our lives and how it infiltrates the lives of others. Wherever, in essence, we announce the forgiveness of sins, we declare sins have been forgiven in Jesus Christ, that forgiveness will be seen and experienced. That's what the Scriptures say. Where we don't, it won't. We're not creating peace. We're announcing it. Jesus created it. God created it. We announce it. And I believe this is indicative, again, of what the Apostle Paul said in Romans. And I'll read this passage. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Chapter 10, verse 14. How then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without somebody preaching it to them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Isn't that what he also said in Ephesians? That on your feet, in your spiritual armor that you wear as a believer, that your feet are shod or you're wearing the gospel of peace? That means wherever you go, you're taking that peace with you. So here it is, the gospel of peace that's on your feet. That's where you travel. And this is the post-resurrection mandate. We're required to intervene as God did in Christ in the earth. We're required to do so in every place where individual or corporate sin divides, oppresses, binds, destroys, or blinds people who are made in the image of God that God wants to set free. This is the continuation of sharing the love that we've been talking about, the love of Christ that we've so graciously received ourselves. You, my friends, are able to go to places, listen to me, you are able to go to places that I will never get to go. You are able to take peace into places that I will never be able to go. And most of what you do will never be seen by anybody but God. We're not in it for the accolades. We're not in it for the crowns. We're not in it for the cheers. We're in it for the glory of the Father and obedience to Him, to serve Him, to please Him. So the opportunities are there. I'm just telling you, post-resurrection, here we are. The opportunities are there for us, church, and they're endless. As many people as there are, there are opportunities for us that God can intersect our lives with if we will get out of the fear-locked rooms that we sometimes find ourselves in in our own minds. Last thing, here's what you have to do first. You got to go unlock the door. You notice, right, Jesus just showed up. As far as I know, nobody says anything. It's not in the narrative. So the door's still locked. Jesus didn't unlock it. He just showed up. 
And if you're going to be able to go, then nobody's getting in, nobody's getting out until somebody actually walks over and says, okay, I'll be the first out. I'm going to be the first out, Jesus. Maybe that was Thomas, the one that everybody calls Doubting Thomas, but he believed. He laid his life down. Maybe he was the first one that went and unlocked the door and walked out, despite the fear. Jesus shows up. The door's still locked. Nobody's getting in and out until somebody unlocks the door. And can I tell you, only those with the gospel of peace on their feet walk towards doors and unlock them and go. That's it. And I, wanna, I want us to be those people. Church, I want in focus to be those people that are not afraid to walk towards locked doors and trust God that as I go with the peace that he's given me, that have been bolted down with fear and what ifs and questions and anxieties and everything else that keeps me trapped up in a room, so to speak, that I put my hope and trust in God, that I know his peace is coming because he's proven that and he's shown me that peace will be there and his victory is coming despite the scars, that the peace maybe that I'm longing for the most actually won't come until I step out and trust him, unlock the door, and go in the power of his name. I don't know what fear is holding you back. I don't know what anxieties may be crippling you. And I'm not talking about clinical stuff. I'm talking, and maybe God has set you free from that today too, but I'm talking about things in your mind that are so much bigger than they really are. They're not bigger than God. So whatever that is today, maybe it's provision, maybe it's the future, Maybe it's your life. Maybe it's a relationship. I don't know. The Holy Spirit does. And whatever has locked you into that place today, I believe in worship. He already has. I believe in the word. He already has. I believe in this moment when we close in this song, he will again. Jesus has shown up right in the middle of it in spite of your lack of faith. And he wants to set you free with peace this morning. Let's receive his peace. You have been listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We hope God met you right where you're at today. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you're listening from and visit infocuschurch.org for more on all that's going on in the life of our church.